Well, today we're beginning a brand new teaching series called My Will, Thy Will, because here's what I believe. God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. God has plans for your life that are bigger than your plans, different from your plans. And oh yes, in case you didn't believe this, they're better than your plans. In every season and every stretch of life, I believe there are things that God has placed you here and now to accomplish. I believe he has purposed for you here and now that are specific to your life. God is attentive to you and your life, and he has a plan and a will for your life. And the second part is equally true. You don't want to miss it. Like he has plans that are bigger than your plans. He has a will that's bigger than your will. He has specific things that he desires for you to accomplish and for you to experience in your life. And you do not want to miss it. His plans really are bigger than your plans. His perspective for your life is wider and farther than your perspective. So he sees coming what you can't possibly see coming. And you better believe that his plans really are better than the plan, the best laid plans that you have for your life. God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it for the world. And you don't want to miss his will and his plans and his purposes for your life for anything in this world. A good friend of mine, Nate Roosh, pastor of an amazing church in Minnesota recently said this, success in life is doing God's will in God's way, following God's timing. Let me say that again. Success in life is doing God's will in God's way, following God's timing. So that leads us to a pretty interesting question. If that's what success in life is, if God does have a will for your life and you don't want to miss it, and if you want to be successful by doing God's will in God's way, according to God's timing, that leads us to a really interesting question. And this is where we're really ultimately going to camp out for the next three weeks. How do you identify God's will for your life? How do you and I identify God's will for our life? If God has a will and a plan for our lives, and if God has a will and plans for each and every season of our lives, how do we figure what, out what that is so we don't miss it? How do we identify? How do we hear the voice of God? How do we, how do we experience what God, you know, knowing what God would say to us so that we don't miss what God has for us? If God has a specific will and specific plans for you as a single person, how do you figure out what it is so you don't miss it? If God has a specific will and specific plans for you and your family while your kids are young or as your kids grow older, how do you figure that out? If God has a specific choice he wants you to make with your career or with where you live as you raise your family, how do you identify what that that is so you don't miss out on his plans. If God has a specific plan for what you're supposed to major in or what you're supposed to do after college, how do you make sure you know what that is so that you walk out that plan? If God has a specific plan and purpose for what you're supposed to do as an empty nester once your kids are out of the house or for your retirement, how do you figure out what that is so that you don't miss that? If God has a specific way he wants you to accomplish his specific what, how do you figure that out? If God has specific timing in mind for something in your life where it's not just a matter of what, but it's also a matter of when, how do you identify the what and the when? See, if you believe that God has a plan and a will for your life and you don't want to miss it, those are some pretty big, important questions to answer. And we need the answer and the answers at every different point and in every season along the way of life. So we're going to attempt over the next weeks to discover some of these answers 
for the next few weeks to answer the question, how do we figure out and identify God's will for our lives? See, at the end of the day, I think we tend to miss out on God's will or miss out on God's plans or misunderstand God's plans for a few simple reasons. Number one is our misconceptions, our misconceptions. See, we think God speaks in confusing ways in riddles that are difficult to figure out. We think God's will is complex and difficult. We think God's will is difficult to hear because he speaks with a still, small voice. These are all things that I think many people think. I know that I've thought them at different points along the way of my my life, that we have misconceptions about who God is and what God's will for our lives is and how we hear it and how how God might want to be speaking to us. But I want to clear this up for just a second. I want to spend just a moment clearing this up. Uh, Life is confusing, but God is a God of clarity. Life is confusing, but God is a God of clarity. Life is complicated. God's will is often incredibly simple. Not easy, but it's simple to understand and simple to walk out. God is not difficult to hear because he speaks in a still small voice. That still small voice is hard to hear because the rest of our lives are so loud. So we have these misconceptions that we need, like, that, that, that the voice of God is, is still and small, and so it's difficult to hear. It is not difficult to hear if we're willing to be quiet enough to listen. The, the, the life is so, the, 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 the will of God must be this complicated thing. No, no, no. The will of God, in fact, is actually incredibly simple for us to figure out. It's that God speaks incredibly simple, points to a simple thing, points to a simple direction, gives a simple guidance. Life is complicated, and so we end up thinking the will of God is complicated, but the life is complicated. Figuring out how to work out the will of God sometimes will have complications. It sometimes will be difficult, but it's incredibly simple, and life is confusing, but God is a God who speaks clearly. He is a God of clarity. And so some of the times the reason that we miss the will of God or miss the plans of God is simply that we have misconceptions about how we, we, we think God actually will speak to us or wants to speak to us. But God is a God of clarity, a God of simplicity, and a God who does speak in a still, small voice. The second thing that I think causes us to so often miss the will of God is simply our stubbornness, right? You're a stubborn person, probably. I'm a stubborn person. I, I know that I, you know, maybe you are. I know I am. We want to know God's will, but sometimes, let's be honest, my will and thy will collide and they conflict and they contrast. Sometimes thy will leads me away from my comfort and I don't really want to do that. Sometimes thy will requires something of me that I don't think I have to offer and that scares me too much to actually take that step. Sometimes thy will leads me in a different, in a direction that is the polar opposite of my will and I had my heart set on my will. And so when I know God's will, there are often times where, let's be honest, we don't want to do God's will. And we know it, it's clear, it's simple, we heard it, we feel like we have direction from God, we have the finger point from God, we have God saying, this is the way, now walk in it, and we don't want to walk in it. And we would rather cling to my will than submit to thy will. And so here's the thing, if, if you hear that and you think, it sounds like most of the time we miss out on God's will because of us, you would actually be correct. I mean, unfortunately, you would actually be correct, which sounds discouraging, but it actually has some good news and bad news in it. God's will is not too hard to discover. We just need to get ourselves out of the way. That's the good news today. God's will for your life, God's plans for your life, God's plans for your life that you don't want to miss is not too hard to discover. We just need to get ourselves 
out of the way. And to help us to see just how to do that, I want us to look and compare what happened in two of the most famous gardens in the history of the world, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's talk about what was true in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, people experienced creation exactly as God intended and relationship with him as exactly as God had planned and purpose from the very beginning. God created the whole world in six days, whether that's literal or figurative, who knows? But the prevailing truth throughout the creation narrative is that God created, that God created. And every step of the way, God declared, it is good. It is good. Light and darkness, good. Earth, moon, sun, planets, solar system, galaxy, good. Land and water, good. Plants, Good, which unfortunately, if you look at the order of it, it means that unfortunately God created vegetables and God called vegetables good before we called steak good. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's true. Animals, birds, fish, good. Mankind, very good, very good. And we're told that when God had created everything we know and see and experience, he would walk and talk and visit with humanity face to face. And when God had everything the way that he wanted it, there were two commands in the affirmative and one command in the the prohibitive. God told the first people to be fruitful and multiply. Man was like, heck yeah, I'll be fruitful and multiply, yeah. And the second command was that everything in the garden was for them to enjoy and steward for them to enjoy and steward, for their enjoyment and for their responsibility. These commands were then followed by one command in the prohibitive, which was actually a command excluding something from what they could and should enjoy. They were not to eat from the tree at the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So to recap, what was true in the Garden of Eden, what God had willed into existence, it was unbroken fellowship between God and and man. It was unhindered community between man and others. They only knew good and they experienced ultimate freedom. Let me just unpack that for just a second because this, this is a picture of something that like we were created for. We were meant to experience. Mankind was meant to live in this unbroken fellowship between God and man. In other words, a perfect relationship and ultimate access to our heavenly Father, the Creator God. Unlimited access perfect relationship with our heavenly father, unhindered community between man and others. In other words, perfect relationship with other people. If you have ever had a broken relationship with other people, which by the way, that makes you a part of the human race. Every single person of us lives with broken relationships with other people. They did not until sin entered the picture. They lived with perfect relationship, husband and wife, perfect relationship, husband and wife, only knowing good. They had no knowledge of evil. I mean, isn't wouldn't you like to live in that world? There was no knowledge of evil. They only knew the goodness of God. They only lived experiencing only the goodness of God. They had ultimate freedom. There was one rule and they had ultimate freedom of choice and experience. I mean, imagine you live in that Imagine you live in that. I don't know that any of us can really imagine it because of how far we have moved and drifted from what God originally intended. That sounds so good. When God had everything the way that he wanted it, we relate to him perfectly and intimately. We have the deepest connection possible that we could possibly have with others. We would have no evil in our world and we would know the ultimate expression of freedom. When God has everything the way that he wants it, there will be no reason for my will and his will 
to conflict or to collide or contrast because his will is ultimate freedom. His will is perfect relationship with him. His will is perfect relationship with others. And his will is that we would know only the goodness that he has to offer. And again, notice here, here's what we see of God at the very beginning. When God has everything that he wants, the way that he wants it from the very beginning, God is a God of connection, a God of clarity, and a God of simplicity. God is a God of connection, a God of clarity, and a God of simplicity. This is who God is and who God has been from the very beginning. God is a God of connection. He deals with relationships. There's perfect relationship between him and human beings. There's perfect relationship between human being and human being. There's nothing hindering relationship whatsoever. He is a God of connection. He is a God of clarity. He has given every rule that needs to be given for their good, for their protection, and for their benefit. And he is a God of simplicity. When he has everything the way that he wants it, there is one rule one, do not. And there are a couple commands, be fruitful and multiply. I think you're going to enjoy that and enjoy and steward everything in the garden. This is who God is at the beginning. And this is who God still is today. He is a God of connection, a God of clarity, and a God of simplicity. Unfortunately though, unfortunately, my will Adam and Eve's will did conflict with thy will, did conflict with God's will. As Adam and Eve ate from the tree, evil came into the world. The knowledge of evil came into the world. The knowledge of broken connection with God because of sin became known and became all too common for people. The knowledge of broken relationships with others became known and the default reality for us until this very day as Adam pointed the finger at Eve, Eve pointed the finger at the snake, everyone pointed the finger and no one took responsibility. The knowledge of evil itself became a reality when we were created to know and experience only good and freedom was ultimately traded for slavery to sin. And because of that, because of that, a few thousand years later, God would send the Savior of the world to reverse that curse, to reestablish a relationship with God, to pave the way for peace between people once again, to show us and remind us of what it is, what and who is good in a world full of evil, and to set us free from sin. Jesus came into the world. He lived among us, was the Son of God come to earth to live as one of us. He was fully God and fully man, fully divine and fully man, living for the purpose of God for humanity, for me and for you and for everyone who would live and breathe for all of time. He lived a sinless life so he could be a sinless and faultless sacrifice for our sins. He lived to show us what God is like so we would could know what God is like. He performed miracles, healed the sick and raised the dead so that we could know the goodness and the power of God. And then his life, after all of that, as if that wasn't enough, his life was aimed at a cross to be the full and final payment for sin. But before he would go to a cross, he would go to a garden. He would go to a garden. And in the garden of Gethsemane, we see the humanity of Jesus, his will colliding with God's will and God's plan for him and his immediate future. In Matthew chapter 26, here's what we're told. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Imagine... Imagine in this moment, knowing God's will and God's plan leads to pain and difficulty and suffering. 
Jesus wasn't praying for God's will. He wasn't praying to know God's will. Jesus already knew God's will and what his next steps would be and should be if he followed the plan of God. Jesus knew the cross lay ahead. Matthew describes him as sorrowful and troubled, sorrowful and troubled. Jesus himself describes himself as overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And to see the parallels between what happens in this garden, what happened in the very first garden. As in the first garden, what we experienced through Jesus is that Jesus had absolute clarity about God's will. In the first garden, it was be fruitful and multiply, stay away from that tree. In the, in the midst of this garden, the absolute clarity about God's will is Jesus, you are to go to the cross to die for the sins of all mankind. You will suffer. Absolute clarity about God's will. You have unbroken fellowship between Jesus and his heavenly father unbroken fellowship. They speak to each other. When Jesus goes to pray, it's simple. It is, it is unbroken fellowship. It's communication on the most intimate, deep levels, unbroken fellowship between Jesus and his heavenly father. And there's undoubtable clarity about the cost of God's will. In the beginning, it was stay away from that tree. For Jesus, it's go to that tree. It, and, it caused, and the knowledge of, of God's will, the knowledge of God's plan, it caused Jesus incredible discomfort. It caused him incredible sorrow and incredible grief. In verse 39, we're told this, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here's the question. What do you do when my will and thy will collide and conflict and, con and contradict? You surrender your will to the will of God. You surrender your will to the will of God. Jesus knew my will does not involve a cross. My will is I want to save the world without the cross. I want to save the world and free everybody from sin without the pain and the difficulty of the cross. Jesus in this moment looked ahead, maybe had seen a crucifixion or two, knew what it would be like for him to go through, knew that his will, his, his, in, his in the fullness of his humanity, his will did not involve a cross, did not include a cross. But when his will conflicted with God's will, when his plan con conflicted and contrasted with the will of his heavenly father, what Jesus did and what we're all called to do is to surrender our will to the will of God. In other words, we look at this. I, I don't want this, but this is what you want, God. Your will be done in me. I don't want to do this, but this is what you've called me to do. Your will be done through me. I don't want to go there, but that's where you want me to go. Your will be done in my steps. I don't feel confident in this, but this is what you've required of me. Your will be done in and through me. I don't want the cross, but I know what you'll accomplish through the cross. So your will be done. This is what it looks like to surrender our will to the will of our heavenly father, to take our will and say, this is what I want, but I want what you want more. And because I want what you want more than I want what I want for myself, I am willing to lay down and to set aside and to surrender my will for thy will. Thy will be done in my life. Thy will be done through my life, through my actions, through my surrender, through my willingness, through my obedience, through my, through my everything, my every breath, my every energy that I have, thy will be done over my will. In verse 40, Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is going like, my, my spirit is willing. My flesh is kind of weak. I need you to be here for me. I need you to be here with me. Imagine you ask your three best friends to pray with you and to pray for you, and they all fall asleep while you're praying. Like you're offering, you're like, guys, I, like, I got to pray. Like, I gotta pray that I'll have the strength to do the will of God, that while my spirit is willing, that my flesh would also be willing. So I need you to pray with me. And all of your friends fall asleep instead of continuing to pray for you. They think this is just another time of prayer. Jesus knows this is the last time that he would pray with them this side of the cross. In verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. May your will be done. Hey, Dad, I, I, I would really like to not go to a cross and die a brutal death. But if there's no other way, your will, not my will. Again, I'm coming to you a second time. I'm coming to you with a repetitive prayer. I'm coming as Jesus who taught people, if your heavenly father hasn't asked you, answered you, you beat down the door until the old man gets out of, the, out of, the, out of bed and comes and give you, gives you some bread for your visitor. Like I told you to be persistent in prayer. And God, I'm coming persistent in prayer because I do not want to, if there is another way, take this cup from me. But if there is no other way, your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus repetitively asking God, if there's another way, let's do another way. But if there is no other way, if this is your will, your will be done and my will will surrender to your will. For Jesus, knowing and submitting to God's will meant the cross and the laying down of his life. Something that Adam and Eve were unwilling to do, Jesus was willing to do. Adam and Eve said, my will over thy will. Jesus, the sinless son of God, said, thy will over my will. My will is surrendered to your will, God. For Jesus, it meant this, the laying down of his life. For all of us today, surrendering and submitting to God's will will mean the laying down of something of yours, something that you care about. It'll be the laying down of your comfort. It'll be the laying down of your own plans and your best laid plans. It'll be the laying down of your finances, the laying down of your control, the laying down of your picture of your future. It will mean the laying down of something that you care about. And so today, as we come to the, the, the close, as we begin to move to the close, today I actually have a question for you. See, I believe that God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. But I also would ask you the question, as we sometimes throw around flippantly, I, like, I just want to know what God wants for me. I just want to know what God wants me to do. I just want to know what God wants for me. Because we think that God's will will always lead to good and perfect and beautiful and butterflies and rainbows and unicorns and all good things and good, good, good and, and dollar signs and prosperity and all of this, this kind of stuff. For Jesus, it actually meant the laying down of his own life. And so I want to ask you a question. Do you want to know God's will really? Do you want to know God's will really? Like, do you actually want to know God's will when it costs you something? Do you want to know God's will when it means you actually have to lay down something that matters to you? Do you want to know 
God's will when it, when it caused some pain and a little bit of difficulty. When it's simple, but it has a cost to it. When it's clear, when it's abundantly clear, but you don't want to do it. When, it, when, when he speaks and it's unmistakable, but you wish you could mistake it. If you ask, God will answer. If you ask your heavenly father, God, I want to know your will for my life. God will answer. He does speak. And chances are it will be simple, but it will be challenging. It will be clear and it will call you away from comfort. It will be quiet, but it will be unmistakable. And then you will have a choice to make. Will I submit to the challenging, moving me away from my comfort, outside of my normal, against the grain from my family, call and will of God? Am I willing to surrender to the difficult call of God? Am I willing to surrender to the, the challenging call of God? Am I willing to surrender to the uncomfortable call of God? Am I willing to surrender everything I have for his will and his plans for my life? And here's why that question matters so much. You will be held accountable for what you know. You will be held accountable for what you know. If you decide, yeah, I want to know the will of God, and he reveals his will and his plans for you to you, you have a question to ask. Will I surrender and will I submit? Will I take my plans and surrender, surrender them and submit them before my heavenly father's will and his plans for my life, for me personally, going into the, I felt the call to ministry when I was 12 years old. And I don't know that a lot of people feel that call at 12 years old. I, I felt that call for the first time around 12 years old and I wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, I, I, I told no one because I knew if I told someone they were going to actually keep me accountable to it. I said, no, thank you, God. Like God said, I want you to be a minister for your life. I said, no, thank you. And, 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 I, and I started to make my own, as I went through middle school and, and high school and preparing for college, I made my own plans for my own future. I loved God. I wanted to follow him with most of my life. And every so often, every so often, that still small voice would creep back up and going, my plans for you are not your plans for you. The plans that you are making for you are not my plans for you. So anyway, so I got off to my freshman year of college. I went to a state school, University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire. I planned to major in advertising and in marketing. And while I got there, I got plugged into a great church. And you want to know what happened? That tug started to come back. That, that tug, that voice that I had quieted, that voice that I had calmed down, that tug that, I, that had stopped tugging, it started to come back once again. It started to rear its ugly, ugly head again. And I remember vividly feeling this pull and also feeling a bit of a warning from God that somehow I felt like God was telling me in a firm parental sort of way, I have been calling you toward this for six years. It's time to follow or I won't call again. It's time to follow or I won't call again. And I distinctly remember to this day thinking as an 18-year-old college freshman in my dorm room in Horan Hall in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, if I follow God now, I'm going where God's leading with his blessing. But if I don't follow God, I don't think his blessing and his hand will go with me because I knew what I was called to. And I knew I was accountable for what I knew. So at the end of the day, a question we all actually need to ask ourselves is, do we actually want to know God's will? And when I say, do we actually want to know God's will? What I really mean is, 
If God were to reveal his will to us, if God were to speak to us, if God were to point the way, if God were to say, drop this so you can pick up this, if God were to say, I want you to leave this relationship that is, that is no good for you so you can pursue a relationship or pursue a time of singleness, if God were to say to you that this is what I have for you and it means you're gonna have to let go of something, if, we, if God were to reveal his will to you, are you submitted and surrendered to your heavenly father because you will be held accountable for what you know of the will of God. And if God reveals his will to you, but you refuse to follow, you will unfortunately, like many of us have, be held accountable for failing to follow and walk in the will of God. And you will miss the will of God for your life. You will know God's plan for you and you'll miss it. But in this moment, the beautiful thing about what Jesus did is Jesus didn't miss it. And because Jesus didn't miss it, he set an incredible example for us of what it looks like for, to be submitted and surrendered to the will of God. And that leads us to one final thought. It's simply this, that while we know following the will of God, it means we'll have to lay this down and cast this aside and give up our plans and give up our dreams for the future and maybe part with some money and maybe do this and maybe do that and maybe, maybe do a lot of things. We were filled with a lot of maybes and a lot of what ifs. But here's the, here's the ultimate question that I think Jesus kept in his mind. Who knows what God will bring about on the other side of your surrender? Who knows what good God can and will bring about on the other side of your surrender? For Jesus, this is what was on the other side. You and me. A relationship with God that could only be made possible through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection. That's what was possible because of what he did when he surrendered his will to the will of his heavenly father. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, tells us this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, going back to the garden of Eden, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteousness. Who knows what God will bring about on the other side of your surrender? What God brought about through the other side of Jesus's surrender is is a relationship that is made possible for connection with your heavenly father, is peace that is possible for us once again between us and other people, and the possibility that we can speak to our heavenly father and hear from him his will for our lives, that we can know and experience everything that he has for us. And yes, oh yes, oh yes, freedom from sin. Through Jesus, 
We are invited through Jesus' submission, Jesus' surrender. We are invited back into relationship as God intended it from the very beginning. That's what laid on the other side of the choice of Jesus' submission and surrender or or going with his own way and his own plans and his own will. But he surrendered and he submitted and because of that, we are invited and we are offered a way back to what God intended and planned all along. And that's amazing news for me. And that's amazing news for you. And that's amazing news for anyone and everyone who has ever felt the weight of sin. And by the way, that is everyone. And the question is simply this. Will we follow Jesus' example? And will we submit and will we surrender our plans before the plans of our Heavenly Father, knowing that He has better for us than we have for us, knowing that He sees farther than than us for, for us, knowing that He has what is ultimately for our benefit when we don't know what we don't know. Can we surrender and submit our plans before the, the plans of our Heavenly Father? And if you're willing to do that, The good news is God will speak to you. God will reveal his plans for you because he has a plan for your life. And you don't want to miss what God does through your obedience. And you don't want to miss what God does through your surrender. And you don't want to miss what God does through your surrendered life and your surrendered words and your surrendered actions and your surrendered time and your surrendered energy. You don't want to miss what God has for you for anything. Would you surrender and would you submit your will to God's will today. Today, as we pray, I'm going to encourage you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, man, I would encourage you to put your trust in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who lives for you, the one who rose from the dead for you, so that he could return us to the place and the relationship that God intended for all of us from the very beginning. He did that by through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave. And if you place your trust in him, he will bring about the forgiveness of your sins and bring you back into relationship with your heavenly father. If you're a person who has, who's been following Jesus, but you've always had a difficult time with submission, it was surrendering to your heavenly father because you don't know just that you can actually trust your heavenly father. I'm going to pray for you today that you would place your trust in your heavenly father, not just for the forgiveness of your sins, but also for the leadership and the lordship of your life to move you in direction that he wants you to go and that you would submit and surrender your will to his will. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you have a will for us and a perfect plan for us, that you have a plan for our words, for our time, for our actions, for our finances, for everything about us. And God, I simply pray today that we would have the wisdom to hear from you. But God, more than that, that we would have the courage to do what you're asking us to do. So God, we ask that you'd speak. We ask that you'd fill us with the courage to actually put into practice what you speak to us. That when you say go, we would go. When you say stay, we would stay. When you say to the right or to the left, we would go to the right or to the left. That we would live with our entire lives fully and wholly submitted to the holy God who knows best, who sees further, and who has best for us. Would you, would you speak to us, Lord, and would you help us to have the courage to follow where you lead? We want to follow the example of our Savior. We want to surrender our will before your will. And we want to see what you do through our surrender as we see what you did through Jesus' surrender on our behalf. 
So God, we love you. We ask that you'd move in our lives, that you'd stretch us, that you'd change us, that you'd grow us, and that you'd make us more and more into the people that you want us to be. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.